So welcome everybody to Chase Oaks, whether you are online right now, uh, somewhere around here or around the planet, or you are at Legacy on Friday night where we tape that service, or uh, maybe at one of our other physical locations. Really, really glad you're here. And before I dive into the new series and the message tonight, just a, a quick word, and that is uh, we are doing, we're going to Israel in October, and we've announced that a long time ago. It's mostly filled up, but not all the way. And when I realized that, because we'll take about 100 people, there's room for about 10 more, and I thought, well, you know, let's let people know. You know, I'd love to fill it up, and because it's an amazing experience. And that's October, I think it's 14 to 24, something like that. And it's an incredible opportunity. Christina will be there, and uh, Eric and Amy Torrance also, uh, along with guides doing teaching at each of these locations. And it really just helps the Bible come alive. It's an amazing experience, an amazing trip. And you can get information about that. Uh, let's put up, oh, there it is, on that website right there. And, and anyway, I hope you can make it. That would be awesome. So today we are starting a new series called Mind Games, which is all about if you want to change your life, change your thinking. Because our life tends to go in the direction of our thinking, of our mind, of our thoughts. Like the song we just heard from Sister Hazel, if you, it's a very biblical sentiment, if you if you want to change who you are, if you want to be somebody else, change your mind. Because if you want to change your life, change your thinking. Because really, a lot of the transformation that happens in the Christian life starts right here with how we think. And so we're going to talk about how that kind of transformation happens through the four weeks of this series. And we're calling it Mind Games because we may not realize it, but our culture, our own self, uh, we'll talk about these other entities, demons and Satan, all that. There are mind games being played on us all the time, affecting the way we think. And if we're not thinking well, if we have skewed thinking, we're going to live skewed lives. So how can we rightly think? How can we transform our thinking? And so that's the mind game concept. Now, when I think of mind games, the first thing that comes to mind, or at least pretty quickly, is going back to the original Star Wars movies, uh, the first one actually, with Obi-Wan Kenobi and the Jedi mind trick. You know what I'm talking about? Where they're on the little speeder and these the stormtroopers are looking for the droid. And he, you know, looks right at the guy. You've got to establish. I, this, I'm going to teach you how to do a Jedi mind trick. You've got to look at your, their eyes and then you go like this. You have to do this. And you say, and he, he said, these aren't the droids you're looking for. And the guy's like, oh, yeah, these aren't the droids we're looking for. And uh, you're free to go or something like that. They're, you're free to go, you know, and then they go on. And wouldn't it be cool to be able to do that? Like to go through a Chick-fil-A line, like a drive through line, and just, you know, do that and then say, oh, you don't need to pay today. In fact, I'm giving you an extra 200 nuggets. Like, oh, awesome, you know. Or, or if your spouse, you know, around, on, on a Saturday has a list of stuff that, you know, they want you to do, and instead you can go like this and say, no, I'd rather you go play golf. And uh, after a foot massage, of course, or something, you know, it'd be like, that would be incredible, right? It, it's actually more fun thinking about manipulating other people than it is being manipulated ourselves. That's not fun. Like any time we've been tricked or realize we've been, you know, it's like, oh man, I just feel so bad. The truth is that happens all the time. We are being manipulated all the time. And we don't even know it. Like in our culture, we grow up in this culture and there are a lot of ideas that we just take, like we just assume that's the way life, that's reality because we've grown up in this culture. We have a cultural mindset. 
And some of that's good and some of that isn't. That's why the Bible talks about, like, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, which is a passage we'll focus on next week. That if we just, if we allow our thinking to be conformed by this world, we're going to have a lot of bad thinking and it's going to affect our lives really badly. But then we also have our own mind, which is not very reliable either. Our own mind plays mind tricks on us. And, you know, like we live in a culture that says, hey, trust yourself. Do what you feel like is right. That's a bad idea. Jeremiah 17, 9, we're told the human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? If you want to trust your own thinking and trust your own mind, just remember it's the most deceitful thing, Jeremiah says, on the planet. Our own mind. We can talk ourselves into just about anything. We can't even trust our own thinking. We'll talk about what to do with that. But then, in addition to that, we have the world and culture. We have our own thinking. But the Bible also talks about these spiritual entities, real beings called demons. You know, there are angels or the good guys. Uh, demons, a bunch of angels rebelled against God a long time ago. And now there's this spiritual battle. And if that's new to you, you can. Uh, we've done some series on it in the past that you can look up. And Satan, the devil, you know, is the leader of the... And, and, what they try to do, when people talk about spiritual warfare, primarily that happens in our mind. That's the primary battlefield is our thinking. Go all the way back to Genesis and Adam and Eve in the garden. And that's what Satan did to Adam and Eve is he just planted seeds of doubt and, and helped them think badly. Just did God really say that? Do you really think God would do that? And I, that's all it took to convince them. Oh, wait a minute. Yeah, that's right. This other thing does make more sense than what God said. And then, boom, it's over. And Satan is always trying to get us to, is always trying to influence our thinking and to think badly. We're being manipulated all the time. But there's mind games being played on us all the time. Like people talk about disinformation campaigns right now because they're happening all the time. But that's not new. Uh, that's been going on since the beginning of time. And so how, what do we do about that? Because the stakes are really high because our life will go in the direction of our thinking. Our thinking determines our attitudes, our values, our behaviors, our, the decisions that we make. And so therefore, like I said earlier, if we have skewed thinking, we're going to have skewed relationships. We're going to have skewed lives. And we all have skewed thinking. All of us. And so in this series, we're going to just say, God, would you unskew our thinking? Would you open up our eyes to see some of the ways that, man, we're just, that's, that's not very helpful. Like, that's, that's not true. That's a lie. And and replace that with truth. And today we're going to talk about how to do that. So in this series, it's a four-week series, we're going to look at what the Apostle Paul in the New Testament said about this, about how our minds can be renewed, how we can have the mind of Jesus, how we can think more like he does. And, and each week is going to just advance the conversation a little bit more. We're going to talk today about strongholds in our thinking, just things we assume to be true, and in our culture, and in our families, and whatever, and how we can, what we can do about lies that we believe and how God can help us move beyond that. And so we're going to be in this passage in 2 Corinthians um, chapter 10. 2 Corinthians in the New Testament. If you want to find it, 2 Corinthians 10 is a passage where Paul is, is talking to the Corinthian church in this Greek city called Corinth. And there's a lot of bad ideas that people are buying into. And he's talking, and which is, of course, happening all the time for us, too. And he's going to talk about what to do. We don't have to be passive about this. In fact, we can't be. 
We've got to be active. We've got to take responsibility. And here's what he says. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. So he is using the concept of strongholds to talk about bad thinking that gets cemented in our mind. Okay, but now 2,000 years ago, the Corinthians that, you know, were the people who lived in Corinth that were the first recipients of this would have known exactly what he talked about. When he uses the image of stronghold, the comparison of stronghold, they would have, they would have known that because every day of their life, that's the main thing they saw was a stronghold. And a stronghold is a fortress. That's why I have this little Mario Brothers one right here. And just kids will play with it. Why not? I think I lost Mario already. I've, oh, no, there he is. Okay. So, um, because they, they had every, like, in, in every Roman region, there were these strongholds, a fortress. In fact, in Corinth, it was about 1,500 feet above the city on this rock kind of mountain thing that just stuck up. It was called Acrocorinth, and they, that would have been the most prominent thing. Like every time you walked out your door, you'd be, that's what you'd look at. That's what you'd see. And in the Greek era, before Rome conquered Corinth, uh, before Rome conquered Greece, it was a fortress. And then when Rome conquered Greece, they tore down part of it. Julius Caesar built it back up and made it even bigger and better. And they considered it impenetrable. And that's how Rome controlled the empire. This vast empire. They had strongholds all over the place. And once a stronghold was there, you're like, well, I guess that's it. Because how do you defeat that? Now, Paul is using that image to talk about strongholds in our mind, in our thinking. Really falsehoods that become the way we think. And once it, once it gets set in our brain, it's really hard to think differently. Becomes a stronghold. Same thing in a culture or in a church or in a group. Once a falsehood gets locked in as just the way we think, it's really hard to shake because we can't even see it anymore. It's just the way, it's just the way we think. And in neuroscience, brain science, we know that that's the way our brain is wired to work. The, you know, neural pathways. And we have billions and trillions of neural pathways. And the, the way that works is once you, once you have a thought, it becomes easier to think that thought again. And if you think that thought again, it becomes easier to think it again and again and again and again. And you, you, that's just, after a while, that's the pathway. That's what you begin to think. Like, if you decided to, in your backyard, add something like a shed or something in your backyard. And before the shed was there, you never walked that way. So it's just the grass is just nice and even. But then... As you start going to your shed, you make a new pathway, right? And over time, you're going to go the same way every time, and you'll wear out a little path, and then that path will become a rut. It'll just be easier. That's just the way you're always going to go to that shed, because that's the pathway. And our brain works the same way. Once we start thinking something, it becomes easier just to keep thinking that, thinking that, thinking that, and after a while, it becomes the way that we think, which is great if that aligns with reality, not so great if it doesn't. So they just give a couple of examples of not so great. So maybe you or someone you know, let's go with that, someone you know. You've got a friend who has a, let's say, a scarcity mindset. 
as opposed to an abundance mindset, which is a more biblical way to think. So a scarcity mindset says, hey, look, there's only so many resources. There's only so much praise and attention. There's only so much credit to go around. And so if I, if I give my resources, if I give my money, or if I give credit, or if I give praise, or if I get, then, then that like takes away something from me. And so you end up just sort of living a very small life because there's only so much to go around and I've got to make sure I hold on to what I have. Where the Bible lets us know, man, that's a terrible way to live. Jesus let us know if you want to really live life and give your life away. That's how you gain life. And that in, in, in Jesus, we have abundance, meaning God will always supply, the Bible says, he will always resource the generous. So the more generous you are, the more abundantly he will resource you and me, whether it's money or uh, appreciation or praise or credit, that we should be the most generous of everybody with an abundance mindset. But you'll never get there if you don't get out of a scarcity mindset. Or let's say one more, maybe um, just through what has happened in your life, you've come to the conclusion and you're thinking that you are pretty much unlovable. You're never really going to find somebody who loves you, that really cares about you. And it's a very lonely place to be, right? But, that, but that's your world. That's your reality. Now, the truth is, that's not true. You're not unlovable. Jesus loves you more than you can imagine. This, as a church, we don't even know you yet, maybe. Maybe we do. We love you. I love you. But what can happen is, when you have that mindset is it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy because you don't trust people. You start closing yourself off. You're not vulnerable. Maybe you're even mean a little bit because you don't want people to get in and, and you become very difficult to love. But unnecessarily so. Because you're not unlovable. Nobody is, right? But that's a mindset that has to shift. So what do we do? We'll give more examples later because I want all of us to identify one stronghold that's in our life. But what do you do about it? And that's what Paul talks about. And so we're going to read the same passage again to say, well, okay, what do we actually do about bad thinking in our lives that is just the way we think? A bad mindset, a stronghold. Let's read the passage again. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of this world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. So here's where, we get, where I get to play with my little Mario Brothers castle. My little stronghold. This is mushroom something. I, haven't, I don't know anything about Mario Brothers. This is Princess Peach, somebody told me. Is that right? Yeah, you don't know either. Okay, and, then, and here's little Mario, okay? So I want you to picture these. These are like thoughts, okay? They're inside the stronghold, all right? So you've got this stronghold. Now, when he says weapons of this world, we don't fight like that, they would have known exactly what he's talking about because that was their world. So they know if you're going to defeat a stronghold, it's really hard, but there are weapons to do that. And so if you're going to defeat the stronghold and tear down those walls, they were, you know, they had battering rams and trebuchets or catapults, you know, they would use and in siege towers and all this kind of stuff that they would try to defeat the stronghold. Paul was like, hey, that's interesting, but that's not what I'm talking about. Because we have something much more powerful than all that. Because they would have considered that pretty hopeless. Like to defeat a Roman stronghold was really hard to do. But in this case, Paul said, hey, we have the power of God to demolish strongholds. 
And that's why we demolish strongholds. How? He says we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive. And so what he's talking about is defeating a stronghold, defeating a lie that we've come to believe is true. We defeat that by truth. And God helps us with his truth to replace the lie with his truth. So it's not the way we think anymore. It exposes the lie. And then once you get in the household, then or once you get in the fortress, then you've got these you know, people that are being protected by the fortress, the soldiers and all that, that you can take captive. And those are like our thoughts. So we have this pattern of thinking. But then even once we expose that, this pattern of bad thinking, we will still have these bad thoughts in line with that. And every time that happens, Paul says, we're just going to take those captive to what God teaches. We're going to take that, those captive to obedience to Jesus and what his truth is. So I'm going to demolish the stronghold. And then when I find myself beginning to think that way again, I'm going to take that captive to God's truth. And I'm going to say, wait a minute, that's not true. Because God says this. And I know that's true. And the cool thing about that is as we start to do that, you know what happens is we start to develop a new mindset. Because with the better thinking, we think that, and guess what? It's better, it's easier to do it the second time, and the third time, and the fourth time, and the fifth time, taking a captive, taking a captive. And after a while, we develop a whole new neural pathway, a whole new mindset, a whole new path, and it just becomes the way we think. So Paul talked about is developing the mind of Christ, the mind of Jesus. So we begin to think more like Jesus thinks. And therefore, we can live much more like he lived. So we're going to talk about demolishing strongholds that are there. But Paul in Ephesians 4, I want to look at another passage, talks about how to avoid that, that even happening in the first place. And I just think it's really helpful. So in Ephesians 4, 25 to 27, he gives another analogy. He shifts from stronghold to something else. And he's talking about in situations and relationships, close relationships where you get hurt and you get angry and how easy it is for that to cause us to not think well. We start developing a story in our mind that doesn't align with truth when we get hurt. Here's what he says. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor. For we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. and Do not give the devil a foothold. So here he uses the concept not of a tower or fortress, but of a foothold. Now, that word foothold is a Greek word, New Testament written in Greek, and it's the word tapas, which might sound familiar. We get topography from that. Topography, tapas. Tapas is a place. It's a region. It's a piece of land. And what he's talking about is how Satan is always trying to get a place in your life, a place in your thinking, a place in your relationships, a place in this church. A place that he can then have a staging ground. That he can then begin to pull people apart in relationships. That he can do his bad stuff that he does. Just like right now, Russia invading Ukraine. Right? They, they try to get a piece of Ukraine, which they have. And then they fortify that and they do all the stuff they're doing because they have a tapas. They have a place that they can base everything. And Paul is like, don't let Satan do that. He's always trying to do it. And he's talking specifically here about relationships. And it's so easy to happen when we get hurt in relationships like a good friend or if you're married, your spouse or your kids or your parents or whatever, like it, it, church relationships. 
God, Satan is always trying to get a place in those and then begin to pull us apart. And it's easy to do because when we get hurt, we start developing a story about why, you know, why did this person do it? I, I asked them to do that and they didn't show up. Or I, I texted them and they, and they haven't responded. Or they said this and it was so like hurtful and I don't, why would they say that? Or, and they said they would do something and they didn't or they or the other way around and and when we get hurt in marriage or in friendship or relationship or something confusing happens at church or whatever it is, right? It's, we start developing a narrative, a story in our head of why that person would do that. And generally, it's not true. It's our hurt talking. And our hurt tends to magnify, you know, the, the negative, uh, negative potential of, what, you know, well, they just don't care about anybody but themselves. Or whatever it is, right? And we get, they don't, they're not really committed to this relationship or they don't care about me which probably has nothing to do with reality, but it becomes our reality if we let it. And then Satan gets a place, and over time, all we do is look for confirmation of what we just, our little theory, and that becomes the way we think about that person, and it destroys a relationship. And Paul is saying, don't let that happen. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry, meaning you deal with it now. Lay aside falsehood, all those theories, and just speak truthfully and say, you know what, I'm confused, I'm hurt, can we talk about it? Because I don't want to make up a story in my head that wouldn't be true. And then, you know, often I, I found that 95% of the time it's like, oh, no, I'm so sorry. This is what happens. Like, oh, okay. But if you don't do what you said, right, then you give Satan a place. So, best case scenario, don't give Satan a tapas in your life, in your thinking, in your relationships, in your church relationships, your family, your friendships, whatever. Don't let him get a place in your thinking. But if he does, and over time, it's happened. All of us, we have these strongholds, these lies that we believe that, are, that we believe to be true. We don't know they're lies. We just think they're truth. Then what do we do? We demolish them with God's truth. We replace the lie with truth. And over time, that becomes our new way of thinking. Now, I want all of us today to be able to identify one of these lies that have become like a fortress in our, like a stronghold in our thinking. And, and we're going to demolish it. Okay, so that's, that's the goal of today. Now, I know that's a little abstract. Are right? you thinking, I don't know. So let me give some examples. So I'm going to share two of mine. Right now, all I want us to do is find one. Okay, so you don't have to find two, but just find one, all right? But here's two of mine just to get going. So here's one lie that I've had to wrestle with most of my life. And that is my worth. This is the, the lie. My worth comes from my performance. And therefore, I feel really great when things are going great performance-wise. And I feel really terrible when they don't. But all my life, I've had to battle that. That Are you familiar with Enneagram, that thing? I'm a three, if you know what that is. Which, that's, that's our problem, right? And that is that it's all about performing. It's all about getting the A. It's all about getting, you know, achieving and so therefore, I can make a lot of mistakes if I believe and I'm motivated with the idea that my worth is totally dependent on my performance. So, for example, when I was going through school, right, this is, school is very predictable, right? You either get the A or you don't. So for me, motivated that way, I was very motivated to get good grades. In fact, I didn't want to just pass a test or get an A on a test. I wanted to humiliate the professor that they would ever put something out that easy. I mean, I, 
And I know that's stupid, but I overstudied. I spent way too much time doing that. And I finished at the top of my classes in graduate school and college and all that. You know, oh, that's great. And honestly, you get to the end of that and you're like, yeah, that's actually really empty. Like, who cares? Nobody cares. In fact, when I was looking at jobs when I got out of grad school, I was waiting for them to ask me, hey, tell me your GPA. And guess what? Nobody cared. Nobody asked. Even if I hinted, nobody asked. Because who cares? Right? But I did. And I remember when I was graduate school seminary for pastors, Dallas Seminary is where I went. And there's a guy named Tony Evans who's a pastor in Dallas uh, and great guy. And he came and spoke to us. And I remember this is like my junior, my, well, it was four year master's, so my third year. And I remember him saying, hey, if I had seminary to do all over again, I would make a, a, few, a few less A's, a few more C's, and a lot more friends. And I remember thinking, did you have to go all the way to C? <laughs> like, really? Like, maybe B plus. Or like, you really have to go all the way to C? Because I'm not going there. I, I'm not going there with you. And some of your parents, are, I know right now, are nervous. Because you got, you know, students here. And you're like, Jeff. Mm-mm. But uh, I, I get it. But, uh, but as I look back, I don't know about C. But I wish I would have relaxed a little bit. Because I didn't really develop a whole lot of significant friendships at graduate school and seminary. Because I was in the library too. I was doing, you know, and, I, and there's a balance in there somewhere, right? But I was fueled by the wrong thing. So I was very imbalanced. Because I was trying to prove my worth. And the truth is, what I've learned. And then, and then you start your job, right? And your career for me is ministry. But then it's all about, you know, overperforming and spending too much time and not developing relationships and neglecting my family and neglecting my kids. And Christy had to call time out on that. Thank God she did. And that caused me to begin to look at this deeper lie that I believed in, that my worth is tied up in my performance. And you realize, no, it's not. That my worth is tied up in my relationship with Jesus and the fact that because of him and his performance on my behalf, I already have the A in God's eyes. And therefore, I can live in the enjoyment of that rather than trying to gain what I already have. And it's taken me my whole life to just try to get a new mindset. So that's one, okay? You demolish the lie of truth and take every thought captive. And every time I see myself doing that again, then I have to take that little thought and say, nope, it's not true. My worth is totally in God's grace and his love for me that's unconditional, that's unmerited. And therefore, I can live in the enjoyment of it. I don't have to, you know, you get the idea. Another idea, very closely related, is life is best when everybody is happy with me. I like making people happy. I really do. Can you just smile right now? Smile. Real big for me. Come on. Smile real big. Yeah, I love that. Right? I hate angry face. Like, I like happy face. I don't like angry face. I don't like sad face. Too much. Okay? Now, nobody. I mean, everybody likes happy face better than angry face or sad face. But I can take that to an art form. And somewhere along the line, I learned to just make people smile. I I know that sounds weird, but... Every time I go, like today, I went to Walmart. Walmart is not a very smiley place. And I, because I, I went to go get my little castle. And, and I noticed that as I was walking around, everybody's like smiling at me. And, uh, which is great, you know, but, but I'm thinking, yeah, I'm kind of used to that. Like everywhere I go, people smile. 
And, I, and I, it's not like I'm, I don't think I'm really trying to, it's not like I do jazz hands like, hey, you know, I'm, I'm really not doing all that. I, and so, but I realized I am doing something. I've learned over time to do that, to try to win people's smile. Like I, I, cause I remember being in New York uh, some years ago and a friend of mine who lives there walking down the street and he's like, hey, would you, would you stop it? And I'm like, what? He said, you're being creepy. I'm like, what do you mean I'm being creepy? I'm just walking down the street. He said, like, you're smiling at people. You're making eye contact. We don't do that here. Like, you know, you're just, you're like, some people are going to get mad at you. I'm like, what? You know, but so evidently there's stuff I've learned to do to get people's smile. And guess what? As a leader, can't always do that. And I've had to learn that over the years. I mean, if I, if I try to lead just trying to make people happy, that's not the right criterion, right? Because leadership, every time you make a decision, is polarizing. Either people dig it or they don't. You just got to do the best you can to help explain it. And, but, you know, and I've had to learn over the years. You, you will never be an effective leader of anything if you're just wired, if you, all you're trying to do is make people happy. Because you can't. And every decision you make, 20% of people are always going to hate it. 20% of people are going to love it. And 80% or 60% in the middle are going to maybe get used to it over time. It's just the nature of leadership. And, and I'm entering into one of those phases now. You know, some of you know I've, I'm writing a book, and, or it's, I've already written it. It's coming out in September, and we'll talk about it. It's not new to you. It's stuff that our church, God's been doing in our church, uh, and we just want to kind of export that conversation to the wider church, to the big C church, rebranding Christianity. And the idea of that is not about coming up with a new brand. It's going back to the brand that Jesus gave. This is how people will know you're my disciples, if you love the way I've loved. And that's how we should be known. And we're not known. We're losing a generation because we've, got a, we've had a lot of mission drive. So just calling us back to, hey, what does it really mean to go back to what proved to be irresistible 2,000 years ago with the early Christians that turned the world upside down? Because, man, we better do something now. And so that, it's, I think it's a super important conversation. Well, I know it is. I mean, it's, it's the new command. It's the thing that Jesus said, this is how people will know. Like, this is our thing. This is our brand. We've gotten away from that. That's not how we're known. And so let's get back to that. But that, parts of that are hard conversations. And there's going to be people, I'm not going to get all happy faces. There'll be some confused faces, some angry faces, some sad faces. It'll be the whole thing. And so my, uh, and I, but what is my job to do? Well, the truth is not life is best when everybody is happy with me. The truth is, Life is best when you do what God wants. And so my verse for this season is John 8, 29. This is my truth uh, that I'm focusing on. The one who, Jesus said this, the one who sent me, which is God the Father, is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do what pleases him. And that's my job, right? Is to do whatever it takes to please him. And not just when people smile. Does that make sense? You're looking at me like weirdo. You're our pastor, really? I know. I, I, get, I get it. So those are two lies that, that I have to wrestle with. I know they're lies. I know they're not true. But still, I'll have those thoughts. And I'll have to take those captive and say, no, that's not true. I want to you know, do that. And so that, that's what we're talking about. So I want you to identify yours. I've shown you mine. You know, so what, let's talk about yours. And uh, that's kind of a weird way to say that. Uh, but um, so here's some ideas. All right. I'm just going to throw out there that, you know, because it's again, this is very abstract. So I don't know. So here's some potential answers. 
Like when you came in, you got that survey. We're going to talk about that later. Don't do it now. There's a lot of you are doing it now. But I'm going to give you, I, I just want to help you find the answer to this one. Because it's way more important than, than what, that piece of paper. So it's, what, what is your stronghold? What is the lie that you tend to believe that we're going to, that we would love God to demolish it with truth and replace that lie with truth? And over time, change our mindset. So here's a few options. One, I'm not good enough and never will be. Maybe that is what you tell yourself. And the truth is you're not good enough. But you don't have to be. Because God is. And he is the one who will enable you and make you good enough. We're qualified, not because of us, because of the work of Jesus. That's truth. So every time Satan says, oh, you're not good enough, they're like, yeah, of course I'm not. But God is. Jesus is. And that's who qualifies me. No one will ever love me. We've talked about that. Think about the cross. Every one of our campuses here at Legacy, it's right there, has a, a cross done by the same artist somewhere on that campus. And every time you think about, no one will ever love me, think about that. Maybe something like marriage lies. Since my spouse doesn't make me happy, I need to go get happy with someone else. And the truth is, marriage is not about, the goal of marriage is not to be happy. I, I, that's a lie. I mean, that, the goal of marriage is to be holy. The goal of marriage is to learn how selfish we are and to become unselfish and to love somebody selflessly. And it's a great, wonderful thing when it, when, I mean, God wants us to be happy, but that's, if we make that the goal, we're just going to be self-centered. The goal of marriage is to serve and to love and to learn how to do that. Uh, you deserve an unhealthy escape. When life gets stressful, you know, I know, I just, that third drink, that fourth drink, or watching that, or going there, your brain, Satan, this world will tell you, you know, you just, you deserve it. And that just going to lead to way more complication. You should feel anxious in this world. This world's going nuts. I get it. It is. You should feel anxious. There's so much anxiety. But the truth is, we'll talk about, we'll have a whole week on anxiety and how to get from anxiety to peace. But that's a lie. God is in control of this world and he's good and he's working out his plan and we can trust him. Live for this life because it's all we have is another lie. And not just living life without thinking about eternity, which leads to a pretty cruddy life. I felt too badly to be used by God. God is done with me. Or some of you feel like that. But that's not true. God loves to use, as we talk about all the time, misfits on a mission. And he loves to use failures and broken people to do his greatest work. And uh, nobody has failed too much to be used by him. In fact, he wants to transform that. He wants to use the, your area of failure to be part of your ministry in the future. I'm never going to find freedom from my addiction. Just that kind of defeated thinking. Um, or uh, other kinds of defeated thinking. People in my life only hurt me. So you don't trust anybody. Or one more purchase and then I'll be content. Once I get that next driver... Once I get the next set, you know, pair of shoes, I'm good. I'm set. And how long does that last? Not very long, right? Because greed is an appetite. Just like food you know, is an appetite. And uh, you're not going to build a great life with greed. That's a lie. 
Everyone else's life is so much better than mine. Right now in a social media world, everybody's life looks better than mine. Right? Their marriage is so awesome. They're celebrating the anniversary and they're so excited about each other and they're going on these vacations and their kids are amazing. And they're, right? Because it's just not reality. It's social media reality. And so it can feel like that. It's not true. I'm never going to be close to God. Some of you feel that way. I'm never going to be close to God. And God wants to be close to you. He, he wants to draw near to you. I'm never going to have a job I love. God doesn't hear my prayers. I need to do what I feel is best for me. Meaning, I, I need to do what I feel like is right for me. Which sounds so right in our culture. But it's not a good idea. Because our mind is not reliable. Our mind is deceitful. To say, hey, I need to do what God is compelling me to do. What God says to do. Because he's better. He's wiser. And all that. So, hopefully by now we're getting some... Ideas. You're getting somewhere? Because I want all of us to come up with one lie that we tend to believe that's a stronghold in our thinking and in our life. And I want Jesus to set us free because he wants to. John 8, 32, Jesus said, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And there's an implication in that passage and the implication in the passage is you and I are not free. You and I are bound. You and I are imprisoned by bad thinking. And, it's, and he came to bring truth so that he could set us free. And in this series, we're going to talk about how can we live more and more freely. But for now, we're going to focus on one, one stronghold. One thing that we tend to believe that's not true, that is impacting our life, impacting our relationships, impacting our spirituality, impacting our impact. And say, God, would you, by your truth, demolish that stronghold? And help me take all those thoughts captive to your truth. And so that I can, over time, begin to think differently. And that's no longer the way I think anymore. I have a new mindset. And it's God's power that will help us do that. On our own, I don't think we're going to get there. But with God's power, 100%, all of us can get there if we rely on that. So let's ask him. Let's bow our heads together in prayer. Lord, thank you for revealing truth. Because as you know, there's all these mind games. I mean, in, in our world, being conformed to the thinking of this world is just so natural because it's the oxygen we breathe. It's this, how we grow up. And then we've got our own minds that aren't reliable. And then, of course, there's Satan and all that and whatever that means. And so, God, would you, would you just reveal, would you uncover just one of those things that we believe, that we feel, that's just not reality? But it's the way we think. It's a stronghold. And God, would you help us by your truth smash it, demolish it, and replace that lie with your truth and help us begin to live in the light of truth and to begin to think differently and to begin to think in line with what you've said. And we know we can't really do it on our own very well. So God, it's by your power to demolish strongholds. God, by your power right now, will you demolish that stronghold in my life? And help me live differently. Help me think differently. In Jesus' name, amen.